Yeah, last night I ended up binge eating, uh, binge eating. I didn't do any binge watching, but I did a lot of binge eating for the first time in a long time. I ate a couple bags of popcorn, some other just normal things that I would eat, but then what capped it off, what made it a true binge was I couldn't stop eating these, uh, they're like a, not a Reese's peanut butter cup, but they're like a classy version of that. They're more, they're smaller, but more dense, but they're basically the same thing. They're peanut butter in a chocolate cup shape that has a little wrapper you have to peel off. And they're a little better, they're a little, a little, you know, they're fancier than Reese's peanut butter cups, but basically the same thing. But I ended up eating like 11 of them. I didn't count, but I, my basic estimate, uh, just looking at what was left behind, because I didn't throw away the wrappers one by one. I like to leave a pile. I like to leave a pile of wrappers or anything else that I consume. I don't like to do it one by one. Uh, but I looked at that and I was just like, that was a lot. And it was late because I like to do the, uh, you know, some variation of intermittent fasting. I've been doing that for quite a while, a couple years maybe. And so it was just the opposite of all that. And I don't do cheat meals or any of that. I don't have like planned cheat meals. Uh, but I think there is something to be said for just going for it once in a while. I don't really crave things very often. You know, certain things sound really good to me that I don't eat anymore, like pizza, you know, hamburgers and fries, curly fries. There's certain things that still, you know, I'm just, when I smell them, I'm like, that smells great. Uh, but I don't ever have them. I don't ever have cheap meals where I eat a pizza or anything like that. Uh, although yesterday I went on a walk and I must have walked by like four different pizzerias and they all smelled great. And that's an important discipline. That's an important thing. It doesn't even have to be a discipline. You don't even have to get all fancy about it. Uh, you don't have to call it anything. But being able to smell something and not think, I need to immediately consume that. Or if I don't immediately consume that, I'm going to be tortured. How dare you make me smell pizza and not let me eat it? You don't have to have that mindset. Sometimes just the perfume is good. You know, there's all these smells that we like. You know, some people like the smell of flowers. Some people like, you know, all kinds of smells. They like a nice woody smell in their home. Do they? I don't know what that means, a woody smell. They, li they like the wood in their house to have a certain perfume to it. Uh, people like smells, but we have this thing where if, if it's a smell that we associate with a food... We can't smell that without wanting it, without craving it, without feeling like we should have that and we should be consuming it. So it was an important realization to me that like, I can walk by Burger King and sometimes it smells really good, but I don't have to go inside and get a hamburger. And if I don't go inside and get a Whopper, I'm not going to feel deprived. I'm just going to enjoy that smell. You know, it's not the same as having it in your mouth, but just smelling it and saying, that's, you know, it's a good perfume. Smelling whatever the fuck they're doing in there. Whatever the fuck they're doing in a Burger King kitchen. Uh, just being like that. It's a good smell. I'm glad that I can walk by that right now and smell it. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not a person who's into cheap meals or anything like that. But every once in a while, I do just have this very impulsive, unplanned uh, binge. And last night it was one of those where there were just a lot of these, and they were frozen. And, and that's I recommend that if you're gonna binge on a bunch of, uh, you know, these nicer Reese's pieces, not Reese's pieces, Reese's peanut butter cups, a nicer version of that, freeze them. There's something about making those frozen that is especially good. And I just couldn't stop. I, I've certainly eaten more of them in a sitting before, but this is the most I've had in a long time. And I woke up today and I, I felt it. You know, there is a hangover when you do that. There is a hangover when you eat a lot and you eat late and you eat things that you don't normally eat. And uh, I had a hangover from it, but it felt really good. And sometimes that would even happen to me in my drinking days where I would have a, a severe hangover, but you almost cross some threshold where there's a bliss to it. And this wasn't nearly like that. It wasn't quite, it wasn't quite like that. Uh, but I did feel almost good. I was almost like, I have to deal with this this morning. I have to deal with this feeling. I have to get my body sorted out. Every decision was both really conscious and unconscious this morning. Because I was just dealing with what I did the night before. And uh, if you do that for days on end, that's when you really start to feel like shit. And that's when it really loses any benefit and starts to hurt you. But just doing it for one night is good. Just having that, you know, consuming a bunch of shit. Because I can't think of any other way to put it. Just a bunch of shit. Putting that in your body. Um, but uh, I guess this is a good segue. Something that's been on my mind is it was in a book I read and it was also, it came up in a conversation I was having about a week ago. And it's something you hear a lot, the idea of surrounding yourself with positive people. Surround yourself with positive people. Don't associate with negative people who bring you down. Bring a, Associate with people who, who push you up, who rise you up, who make you feel good. And there's a lot to be said for that. You know, there's a lot to be said for the things that you take in, in the same way that the media you take in, and the books you read, the shows you watch, the music you listen to, in the same way that that stuff seeps in. I think the people you interact with are an even more direct and powerful version of that, where people who think constructively and have a positive mindset do have a, a very strong impact on you and how you feel. And a certain currency is created. You know, and that currency is so important in relationships and in friendships and especially social circles. Um, but I question some of that, you know, because I'm a person who, despite having something more of a positive outlook, I don't want to say I'm a positive person, but I have a, a more positive outlook than I used to have, or I at least value so-called positivity uh, more than I did when I was younger. D you know, despite that, it's like I don't necessarily think there's value to just surrounding yourself with it. Or maybe there's value. Maybe if you feel like that's what you need, you need that level of reinforcement. You feel that you're always just teetering at the edge of a, a gangplank and you're about to be, you know, pushed off if you hang around negativity, 
if you feel that way, it's probably important in the same way that somebody who's, you know, recovering from an addiction needs to surround themselves by other people who either don't have that addiction or are recovering from it because otherwise they'll fall back into it. Like if a junkie hangs around other junkies, it's just way too easy to fall back into it. I understand that. And I do feel, though, like I'm historically speaking... Uh, something of a negativity junkie. Not that I loved the toxic aspects of it, but you know, as someone who loves uh, just a, a really good, cynical, truthful observation, someone who just gets to the cutting bottom of something, someone who cuts to the bottom of something, as someone who loves that, I do feel like I'm somewhat of a junkie for it. But at the same time, I don't want to completely separate myself from that. And uh, some of my best and enduring friendships still have that as a part of them or they're with people who I would say are more prone to complaining or you know negative feelings than other people I know and I think one of the reasons why I've always gravitated not just toward that kind of thinking but toward that sort of person is because they are often more interesting at least to me and uh, in hearing people talk about needing to surround themselves with positive people and reading that, you see it in self-help material a lot. I also question it. You know, is that just walling yourself off? Is that just, you know, it, I don't know. I, I think in my case, I think I would be doing myself a disservice if I did that. And it's not that I want to help people, because I think that's a trick, too, that you can think, oh... I'm still going to talk to negative people and maintain the relationships with people I know, even if there's like a little bit of a toxic element, because I can help them. I can, I can, you know, lead them down the path toward thinking a little clearer and healthier and more positive. And that's a trick, too. And you're really trying to steal someone's triumph from them. Because if they're going to get on a path toward so-called healthier thinking, is that your duty? Is that your right to be the one who does that, to, who, who leads them there? Because I know in my experience, being very stubborn, being very self-oriented, I had to do it myself. It's not that other people didn't contribute. It's not that I didn't gain a great deal of insight or have epiphanies that were provided by other people, but I had to kind of climb there myself. I had to kind of claw my way up myself, and there's something triumphant about that. There is a feeling of triumph when you realize that you've done that, even if it's just for a second, you know, but if you've done it once, you can stay up there. You know how to get up there. You know how to, you know, sustain it. You'll learn, you, you will learn how to sustain it at the very least um, if you don't just immediately stay there. Uh, but who would I be to try to lead someone else there and steal that experience from them? It's not, and that's not to say that you shouldn't you know, try to offer some insight or just share what your path has been. But it's not your job to be like, I'm going to help this person. I'm going to help this person start to think a little uh, more positive. You know, it's not like you, you don't want to come from that mindset. And chances are if the person you're talking to is smart 
and insightful in their own right, and if there's a reason why they've been in your life, if there's a reason why they are your friend or a family member or whoever they are, if there's a reason why they are in your life, they're probably too smart to, like, trick or for you to just, you know, or or they're not going to, like, kneel down and be like, teach me, give me all this insight, rewire my brain for me. They're probably stubborn like you. I mean, I know in my case, you know, my friends are just as stubborn as I am. Uh, and you can't trick them into thinking a certain way. And, and why should you? Why is it your job to help them? And not just that, why do you want to steal their triumph from them? Because if they're indebted to you, that's a bad road too. And you see that with a lot of self-help gurus and people who have had this very positive experience on large groups of people where even though this person has had this impact, maybe they've written a book, they give these lectures, they do these speaking engagements, they make videos, whatever it is they do that does have this really beneficial result and people people's lives do improve when they pay attention to the insight that this person has offered, this public figure... You'll see, though, where a large number of those people who listen to this person or read what this person has written will turn around and be like, so-and-so saved my life. I was lost before so-and-so wrote his book or until I saw him, him speak. You know, it's like you'll see that. And in a way, that person who... In a way, that person's triumph has been stolen from them because they're crediting someone else. And it's not that you shouldn't give credit, because I believe wholly in giving credit where it's due. Uh, and that's where credit belongs, you know, is where it's due. And I believe in giving credit. And, and I think a, a way to approach that particular example I gave would be instead of saying, so-and-so saved my life. So-and-so saved my life. Uh, instead of saying that, it would be telling people, here's a particular piece of wisdom I learned from this person that has helped me a great deal. And maybe that's what some people mean when they say, they saved my life. I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for him. But that can also play out on a personal level, too, where there's people who are, aren't a public figure, who are a part of your life, and they might really help you, and they might go out of their way, and they might be trying to, or they might just do it by being in your life. They might just do it by being themselves. And it's easy to end up with that same dynamic with them, where it becomes like, you know, my friend saved my life. If it wasn't for him, you know, I wouldn't be here. And it's like, you end up, I think what's what's a necessary aspect of all this is being able to take some of the credit yourself for your own situation. And if you feel like you've improved your own situation, you want to be able to give a large amount of credit to yourself, not all of the credit, you know, because, you know, you want to be able to take things in, but then also send them back out. You want to be able to be sort of a, uh, you want there to be like an intake and an exhaust, you know, in all of this, where it's not just you taking everything in, you want to be able to push it all back out. 
but it's it's one of those things where you do want to be able to take a certain amount of in. You know, you want to be able to credit yourself. You want to be able to because I mean that's what taking responsibility is. When you take personal responsibility for something in your life, you give yourself the ability. You know, you you can take credit for it. Not all of the credit, but you can take a certain amount of credit because it's not a finite resource. You know, there's enough credit available. There, there's enough, you know, when something good happens, there are so many different things that played into that that you can take credit and also give some credit. But you should never be down on your knees saying, so-and-so, this individual saved me. And maybe somebody did literally save your life. Maybe it is a very uh, direct, you know, this person, like, pulled me away from a train that was about to hit me. Maybe there is an actual physical saving of someone's life. And that's different. You know, obviously that's different. I mean, if someone pulls, if, if you happen to be, like, out for a walk and you were walking down railroad tracks and you didn't didn't see a train coming and someone pushed you out of the way and saved your life in that way, you can say, that person literally saved my life. They literally pushed me off the railroad tracks so that a train didn't hit me. And uh, and that is giving credit where it's due. But that's different than when someone saves you in some more complex, abstract way through wisdom or through some sort of, you know, through something else. But you yourself, if you feel like you are in a good place and you want to have a positive impact on other people, you also don't want to try to force yourself to be some sort of savior. Because when you do that, you do steal someone's own experience in taking personal responsibility and being able to, you know, climb out of the abyss that they're in. Because nothing is truly more empowering than being able to climb out of an abyss claw your way out of an abyss it starts as a clawing process you, you start out clawing and then you find out you're climbing your your claws turn into hands the best part about crawling out of the abyss is your claws turn into hands and then they become wings I'd love to give <laughs> I'd love to talk to a stadium of people and say shit like that your claws will turn into hands, and then your hands will turn into wings. And then you'll realize you don't have any wings. There's just nothing. There's just orbs of light floating around. <laughs> no limbs. You won't even have eyes. <laughs> And that's where I'll lose people. That's how to lose an entire stadium full of people. How to win friends and influence people and lose the attention of an entire stadium of people that paid to come and see you. Uh, but to go back to what I was talking about originally, just the idea of like just having, should you have negative people in your life? And I would say yes, if you care about them. I think that it's it, people are trying to almost use a kind of cheat code 
when they just cut someone out of their life for being negative because I feel like they're missing a bigger picture. And you shouldn't, I guess the reason I went on that whole tangent before is because you shouldn't approach it where like I'm having, I'm going to keep this person in my life so that I can help them. I, I Don't take that approach, but I think you should have this bigger approach to it where first of all, you should be able to see if this person is bringing you good things. Maybe not the greater good, but is having this person in your life, is it providing you with good things? Do you get things out of them? It may not be all the time. Maybe sometimes they just complain to you. Maybe sometimes they rant about something and you're sitting there and you feel like you just have to endure it. But do they bring something to your life? Because it is about you. And it is about, if not protecting yourself, you know, enriching yourself. And if you feel like you're always having to protect yourself from this person... Uh, that's not good, but it's like, do they do something that enriches your life? Do they have some kind of insight, even with that negativity, even with those things that aren't entirely what people would consider traditionally healthy? Do they bring some level of truth or insight that feels necessary? Is there a balance? Because that's what so much of it is. Is there a balance to it? And that balance might not be 50-50. You might know somebody and it might not be that 50% of the time they're kind of, you know, bringing you down and 50% of the time they're giving you just incredible pieces of insight that do enrich your life. It may be that 80% of the time you feel like they're kind of just, you know, coming from a bad place and 20% of the time they're giving you something that enriches you, but that 20% might be well worth its weight, even though it's a smaller percentage. And it's not like you can really divide these things into measurable percentages or quantify them in any way, because it truly is based on feeling. And I think that's what happens in all of this. When you're talking to a certain person and you suddenly get this feeling, and it is a stomach feeling. It is an inward there's something gastrointestinal about it. I don't know what it is. There's something gastrointestinal about it. And uh, there's just something that you kind of feel in your gut and you kind of go, oh, this person, what this person is giving me right now is making my gut radiate some sort of unease. And I'm feeling really resistant. And it's good that you're feeling resistant because the alternative is to give in and start trading in the currency of cynicism and misery. And it's easy to trick yourself with the phrase, I'm just venting. That happens a lot with work-related stuff. If, if you've had a job where, I mean, any job is going to give you a lot of opportunity to complain it doesn't matter if you love your job. It doesn't matter if you love your coworkers. Every single job gives you a million opportunities to complain, both when it comes to the small things that go on throughout the day, as well as just the bigger picture of, of like, I have a job and I have to do this to survive. That stuff gives you a million opportunities. You can really find an opportunity in everything to complain. I mean, if you get a bonus check, you can find a way to complain about that, that it's not as high as you wanted it to be. You feel like it's, you know, it's peanuts compared to what they're making. It's peanuts compared to what the CEO, the bonus the CEO is giving himself. You're giving me peanuts. You can truly find a way to complain about everything. And, you know, 
it's healthy for coworkers or anybody in any situation to commiserate and to vent and to be honest, but it's very easy to also justify, you know, this dark, you know, this, this much darker currency. It's, it's, it's easy to mask that or hide it with, I'm just venting, because then you start venting all the time. Uh, and you can trick yourself, you can justify it. You can e- easily justify things by being like, I'm just venting or I'm just being honest. Uh, I need someone to talk to about this. And, you know, my entire life, I remember like seeking people out who I felt like I could vent with or talk shit with. And, and not everybody. It's just usually it was based on more than that. But it was always a relief to know that I could speak very candidly and sometimes negatively with somebody and trust them with that. Uh, and, and I do think that is important, is to have people that you can vent with and to not have them immediately try to convince you otherwise or, or immediately throw some platitude of gratitude in your face like... You just have to think differently because it's not anybody else's job to reframe your mind. Uh, But in the same way that you yourself have to watch out when someone is just complaining endlessly to you or throwing some really dark and negative shit your way all the time, in the same way that you have to protect yourself and ask yourself questions like, do I get anything out of this relationship with this person At the same time, you should be asking yourself that all the time about what you are saying to people and what you are doing. Uh, And I I think most people are smart enough to be able to do that. I think most people are self-aware enough to be able to do that. And I think everyone does have a voice in them or a voice from above. Some kind of voice is there. Some kind of intuitive feeling that you might call a voice is there that tells you when you need to kind of reel it in or when you need to put up a barrier and maybe do both at the same time. If you are in some sort of friendship or if you do have a relationship that's where the currency is just trading in horrible things, horrible facts, <laughs> uh, yeah, my, you, should, you should come hang out with us sometime. You should come hang out. Just come hang out. We sit around and we we trade in a currency of horrible facts. Come hang out. You know, if you're in that situation, it's like you're going to have to reel it in and place a barrier up. And uh, it's amazing, though, if you've had friendships that are based on that kind of thing, that, that are based on trading in a horrible currency. It's amazing when you move beyond that. When you and another person who were so prone to just talking shit. Because that's what it all comes down to. When I say talking shit, I don't necessarily mean gossiping about people. I don't necessarily mean like cutting other people down. I think talking shit covers a whole wide spectrum of conversation and conduct. But if there's somebody who's been in your life and you guys just sit around talking shit, if you're able to go past that, and that can be one of the best things in the world. That can be, that's truly creative. It's, you know, people think about creativity like you have to like draw something or record music or make something, you know, in the world of art or, you know, some sort of production. And it's like, no, something 
like that, where two people who were so prone to just talking shit can now talk about other things with all of the insight they learned from talking shit. Because for me, like, I never talk shit without there being some level of insight, and that's because there's so much justification in that. I was able to justify it. But what I'm talking about really here are are one-on-one relationships where... I'm basically saying you shouldn't necessarily cut someone out of your life because you see them as a negative person or you feel like they have a lot of negativity they bring to the conversation, to the table. Bringing some negativity to the table. You know, I really like hanging out with you. I really like, uh, you know, when we have dinner. I I love our dinner meetings, but... I feel like you bring a lot of negativity to the table too. No, but you know, when so if you do feel like someone brings a lot of negativity to the table, what I'm saying here is not to just think I got to cut them out because I've I've been told by people that you should only surround yourself with positive people, you know. But what I am talking about here are one-on-one relationships, and I feel like those are a lot easier to see the ups and downs in. They're a lot easier to control. It's a lot easier to control your own reaction to one person. It's a lot easier to control the currency. And when I say currency, like I'm using it as this metaphor for like exchanging money, where it's like you're exchanging this currency and something becomes the currency. And I don't often think about how that means current too, where it is a current between people. Uh, and But it, it does become this currency, and if it's a one-on-one relationship, you do have control over that currency. You do have control over that current. But where things, I think, get very... Uh, where you really have to watch yourself is if you find yourself in a, a group where the currency is something very toxic... Because immediately gossip rears its head. You know, it's one thing for two people with with a one-on-one relationship, just a friendship. It's very easy for them to gossip about things in their lives. But the problem with a group is that gossip becomes immediately available due to the fact that there are a bunch of people involved in the same little tight-knit network or whatever you want to call it. It's a group of people. It could be a group of friends. It could be coworkers. It could be a band. It could be anything that brings people together. And we think about people coming together as such a good thing, but, you know, just one of the pitfalls of groups, of tribes of any kind, and especially social groups, especially groups of friends, especially very insular ones, is that gossip becomes an immediately available currency. And it's in the same way that, like, if you are hanging out with a friend and they introduce you to a friend of theirs that then becomes your acquaintance, and you run into that acquaintance one-on-one when you're out and about, and you say, oh, hi, hi, chances are you're going to talk about that mutual friend who introduced you, because it's awkward, You know, when you don't really have a friendship with somebody, you just have this kind of, like, new acquaintanceship, and you run into them, there's only so much you can talk about right off the bat, especially if you're not just a brilliant conversationalist. 
you know, if you haven't read Win Friends and Win Friends and Influence People, you're not going to know what to say. If you haven't read Win Friends and Influence People, you're not going to know what to say to your new acquaintance. So you're going to talk about the friend that you know, and it's going to be positive. It almost always is. You know, if if, <laughs> if if a mutual friend introduces you to one of their friend to somebody, and you run into that person out and about, you're not gonna like immediately go, you know. So Mike, uh, oh, you know, it's so great that you know Mike too. Except he's a fucking cocksucker, ain't he? You know, it's like you're not gonna say that about the mutual friend that first time running into that acquaintance. You're gonna be like, oh, you know how how do you know Mike? How do you know Mike? <laughs> You're gonna, and, and it's gonna be. Isn't it so great that he, uh, he's got two dogs. Oh, you like dogs? You know, let's talk more about Mike. Cause I don't really want to reveal too much about myself. Cause I feel kind of awkward. And you're not gonna want to reveal too much about yourself. So let's talk about Mike. That's kind of how it is when when some when you first become kind of acquaintances or friends with somebody and you, you talk about that mutual friend and that's a version of gossip. That's the thing is that is a version of gossip, but you don't think of it that way because it's not malicious, it's not toxic. Because we we think of gossip purely as this toxic thing, but there's a lot of positive gossip too, you know. And there's a lot of people who just enjoy talking about other people and the good things about them. <laughs> Believe it or not, I mean, that's like what a lot of people talk about is they, they talk about the things they like about other people that they both know. There's a lot of really positive gossip, but just you don't think of it that way. And I'm not one of those people, you know, I don't really like to sit around and talk about other people and like how great they are. Uh, maybe it's a good thing to do. But if I'm doing that, I feel like something is missing from the conversation uh, I guess I just, I, I don't like to talk about people either way if I can choose not to. But we do it. And it's just something we inevitably do. Uh, Mike. <laughs> Listen, I'm sick of talking about Mike. I'm sick of talking about Mike. Uh, but who, who's Mike anyway? Who is Mike? <laughs> Um, but, uh, it, it, it's, we don't think about those positive aspects of gossip where it's like, oh, I'm talking about this person we both know because we don't really know what else to talk about. So we're going to talk about the person, you know, who we both know, but you might become really good friends with that person. You might become really good friends with that acquaintance. You go out for drinks and eventually they're going to say something that's like, you know, I, I've noticed that, uh, you know, Mike, he, he doesn't always, uh, clean up the dog shit. He doesn't know when he's when he's taking his two dogs for a walk. I've noticed that sometimes Mike doesn't clean it up. And then you might be like, I hate it when people do that. I hate it when people are walking the dog and they don't clean up the dog shit. And, and it's like, yeah, you know, like I like Mike, but because that's a part of these a part of the whole gossip process is the the uh, disclaimer. You preface things with I really, you know, I love Mike, but he never cleans up his dog shit. <laughs> uh, 
but that that's where, how things go where like when you become more comfortable with somebody and sometimes someone will just throw that out there in a conversation like it's happened at work you know where a coworker will just let something drop it's just a very minor complaint and i don't even know if they know they're doing it but they're just kind of throwing a line out it's like it's like they're throwing a little bit of bait out there just to see how you respond and it's not something that's so bad that you're going to turn around and like go to the boss and be like uh Shelly thinks that we should have longer breaks you know it's it's not going to be it's usually it's something very minor but someone will just test your waters to see if you bite and then you might say yeah you know and I think we should have longer lunches too uh you, you know it might be something like that and then that becomes you ever hate our boss? You ever think about how much you hate our boss? And they might be like, yeah, 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 yeah. It becomes this perverse thing. Uh, but people will often just throw something out there, something that could be taken either way. It's something that's a little bit maybe complainy. It's a little bit complainy, but it's something that isn't going to get anybody in trouble. And people will test the waters that way. Uh, But you can see where, like, when things, you know, there is this kind of positive gossip as well as negative gossip. But to get back to the point I was making, when it's a group of people, there's just this immediate, there's this immediate reservoir of gossip available. If you're with a group of people that are all friends with each other, and then around those group of friends that are also acquaintances or people they know, you suddenly have all this material to talk about. And you have a lot of things to complain about because we're all imperfect. And you might want to talk about how, you know, uh, how Mike treats his girlfriend and how, uh, you know, Shelly, I don't know, you know, how Shelly... I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't have gossip. The thing is, I don't. I don't even have gossip available right now for these non-existent people. Uh, but still, it's like that's like the the trouble is is that when you then get into a group environment where there's all these different crisscrossing relationships, is you suddenly have a lot more opportunity to get negative and that very easily becomes the currency of the entire group and if if negativity or if you know toxic conversation is the currency of an entire group it's almost inescapable because if you do anything to try to like halt that or change that you then almost become an outsider immediately and the group's now against you. They're going to find all of your flaws. They're going to focus on you. Because that's what a group can very easily do. And as healthy as it is to have community, as healthy as it is to have a tribe, for sheer survival, if nothing else, but also just to have people you can hang out with who all know each other. You know, as great as so many of those things are, people who can help each other, people who you can call if you need somebody to help you move, whatever it is. It, you also see, though, where... When, you know, a negative currency or a currency of gossip has been created where, you know, even doing anything, even just trying to conduct yourself differently makes you an outsider because you're no longer dealing in the currency of the group. And if they're caught up in that, they suddenly know you're doing something different. You're going in a different direction. 
And you can't change a group of people because you can't even change one person because that was the point I was making earlier where, you know, let's say you have, you know, a relationship with one person. You have one friend and you both just complain to each other all the time. You know, you have to realize it's not your job to change that person. You probably can't because they're probably smart and they're probably stubborn and they're not going to be easily tricked into changing the way they think. You can be a good influence just by living by example. But the difference in a group is that's even more difficult. You know, in the same way you can't change that one person, you're not going to be able to change an entire group of people. And living by example might just make you more of an outsider. And it's going to be harder, too, to resist being negative if you're around a group of people that are doing it all the time. If it's one person, it's easier to protect yourself. And I have that experience sometimes. And sometimes I am the negative person. You know, I want to say that. It's not like I'm this, like, holy, you know, you know, this knight who's just, like, sh- going around shining all the time. And, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm some, like, perfect person who's just positive all the time. Sometimes I am the person who's saying something negative. And that's where you have to reel yourself in. You have to know when you're going too far. And it's difficult to know that sometimes. But you can gauge someone's response. And if you find that you're talking to somebody and they're giving you one-word answers, if they're not engaging you back, like if you're engaging them and they're not engaging you back and you're just complaining, that's a sign that you're going a little too far and you need to reel yourself back in. But you also have to be careful if they suddenly start engaging you back too much and then you're back to what I was talking about where just the currency is something bad. The currency is horrible facts. And uh, and sometimes too, it's like that currency of horrible facts can be something that you think is useful. It could be the news. I mean, that's essentially what the news is. Here's a bunch of bad shit that happened today and that could happen tomorrow. Here's a bunch of bad shit that happened yesterday, bad shit that happened today, and bad shit that could happen tomorrow. Stay tuned. And there's groups of friends, there's people, there's individuals who will just tell you bad news all the time. It's not even stuff that's personal. They'll just be like, did you hear about this? Did you hear about the shooting? Did you hear about the shooting on the other side of the world? And it's not that it isn't important, but it's still, it's just like that's all they tell you. All the, They're just there, they're ready. They're ready to tell you what's going on. Did you read the bad movie review? Oh, have you seen The Joker? I hear it's terrible. Did you hear about the shooting over there? Did you hear what the president said? Did you hear, that, did you hear about that thing the president said that sucked? Uh, you know, so it's it's not just personal stuff. It's just some people think that they're doing you a service by telling you the news or telling you these objective facts about things that are happening in the world that you really don't need to hear. They're not going to help you. They're not going to help you today, tomorrow, or 10 years from now. They're not things that you need in order to survive because we trick ourselves with that. We trick ourselves with this idea that if you don't hear this information, you're not going to survive or our species isn't going to survive or our species is going to deteriorate. And, you know, if you don't find, if you don't hear about the guy who ran the red light in the school zone and hit a bus yesterday, you're just not going to, you're not going to live to see tomorrow. You need to know about these things. Um, 
I don't know, speaking of reeling things in, I gotta. I'm trying to reel this back in. Uh, but in, anyway, I, I think that you should be very careful if it's a group-oriented situation where the group is dealing in that kind of currency. Whereas if it's a one-on-one relationship, I think it's a lot easier to see where this person does enrich your life, where they do bring something to your life. And even though you shouldn't have this mindset of like, I'm gonna steal your triumph and help you think more positive. You can at least live by example, and if that friendship is going to make it, if that friendship is going to continue to be a part of your life, you can at least neutralize the bad shit that's going on. You might not impact that other person and change them, but if you do recognize that they have some value to offer you, you can at least neutralize the bad stuff, and hopefully in the bigger picture that relationship or friendship is meaningful. Hopefully you get something out of that. Hopefully everything around that friendship benefits in some way. The world benefits. Hopefully the world benefits. Um, excuse me, I just wanted to let you know the world benefits from this relationship. No, I don't know. Terrible. Shouldn't do that voice, whatever that voice is. Excuse me, sir. Did you know the world's benefiting from our relationship? Stupid, terrible. Stupid and terrible. So stupid. Um, but yeah, I just think that's the difference between whether it's a group. And it's easy to not realize that's going on in a group. It's very easy to think. Like we hear gossip and we think of like middle-aged women. We think, we, we think of a certain type of person. We think of teenage girls. You see it play out with macho dudes. You see, I've seen it play out with groups of friends that are, we're all guys. We're all guys, and uh, you see it play out with that too. And there are so many ways that these things can get disguised. You know, there's so many ways that this stuff disguises itself, and that people disguise it. There's so many ways that I've, looking at myself, ways that I've disguised unhealthy things. Or things that would embarrass me if I were to actually look at them for what they are. Because uh, that's part of it, too. It's like, you know, a group of guys would never want to admit that they gossip. They would never admit that. And yet, if you were to hear their conversation and think of it objectively, you would realize this is gossip. It might be in a particular field of interest. They might be talking about just the different contractors in the area. <laughs> they might be just talking about the different contractors in the area. But what's going on is still this malicious form of gossip. And it might be masked by, you know, uh, the construction trade. Or it might be masked by the fact that uh, we're a bunch of musicians. We're a bunch of artists. We're a bunch of professionals. It, these things get disguised and masked all the time. But the currency is still the same thing in its essence. And that's something to be aware of. But if it's a one-on-one relationship, I feel that you do have more control. And you shouldn't necessarily cut someone out of your life because they're a negative person. If they steal from you, if they try to hurt you, if they fight with you all the time, I'd consider that different. But if they just share things about their own life, or if they have a negative disposition, or if they're a little bit self-destructive, or anything like that, that's 
something manageable, I think. If they also bring good into your life, I think that's a manageable... It, that balance becomes something manageable and worth maintaining. But you don't want to deal with somebody who's literally pulling you down. You know, literally pulling you down for one. I mean, literally. Like if they're if they're actually grabbing hold of you and pulling you down into a manhole with them that they tripped and fell down, uh, you don't want that. But if they're also pulling you down in any other kind of way, uh, less literally. That, too, is something to be aware of and to beware of. Beware. But it's it's just all a part of this thing where it's like nothing is necessarily that easy. And I think surrounding yourself by positive people, to me, if you need that, you need that. And I, nothing I can say can possibly take that away from you, that you need to surround yourself only with positive people. But I would question that, too. I question anytime someone feels the need to wall themselves off. And it's very similar to what I was saying about feedback loops recently about when when someone only associates with people who agree with them exactly like someone who, who agree like say it's pol- uh, politics or social issues when you only listen to people who agree with your exact values and the feedback loop that gets created and we see what happens with that and I've talked about that enough but it's very similar with the idea that I only talk to positive people that itself becomes kind of negative that itself becomes exclusionary in a way that isn't entirely productive. And you should try to talk to people who make you feel good or who give you some kind of knowledge or do something for you. I think that's the important part of all of this is that the people in your life should add some value to it and they should create more in your brain than they destroy and if they're truly a threat to your well-being, like if they were somebody that you, you used to, you know, do drugs with and you're just using every part of your being right now to avoid doing drugs, you probably shouldn't hang out with that person if they just have a bunch of drugs around and they'd be more than happy for you to do drugs with them. You know, there are situations like that that seem pretty obvious, but there are a lot of other situations that are, you know, more abstract, go into just thinking, you know, the nature of our brains and our feelings, the nature of our brains and our feelings. When your, uh, when your thoughts become feelings and your feelings become claws and your claws become hands that become wings and then turn into orbs of light, uh, but, it's just it's it's one of the dilemmas we have is you know is just you know wanting to surround yourself with people who who think like you but sometimes that can mean you know exchanging a currency that's really bad for you and bad for them but then not wanting to just surround yourself with positive people either because that becomes a weird exclusionary feedback loop too and you might be missing something by doing that, and you might even trick yourself into believing that that group of positive people you're interacting with are positive, because that's a trick too. There's, 
you know, you, you might think, oh, I, I only talk to positive people. Ever since I cut all those bad people out of my life and I, I went to that retreat where I met all of my new best friends because they all read the same books I do on positive thinking and mind over matter, and uh, they just think positive all the time, and, you know, those people are really scared of negativity in a lot of cases, and they're negative about negativity, uh, but they're often really scared. And I think in, one thing I've learned about changing and changing and rewiring yourself, if there's one thing I've learned, it's that you can't let yourself fear the thing that you're trying to change away from. And that was important for me in quitting drinking where... It was very important when I made that decision to stop drinking to not be afraid of alcohol. I did not want to be one of these people who walls myself off, who joins a group, even though I knew that I could potentially be setting myself up to drink again by not going through some firmly established system that helps you quit drinking. Even though I knew I could potentially be throwing myself out into the wind it was more important to me to not be afraid of alcohol, which is why I went to bars immediately after I quit drinking, which is why the first few months I would take just a tiny sip of a friend's drink. I'm talking like a tiny sip, just a, literally a taste, because I wanted to not be afraid of it and to also know that it wasn't going to hurt me and to know that having a tiny sip wasn't going to suck me back in and turn me into a drunk again. And for some people, maybe that's not doable. Maybe they do have to completely... Going out to a bar the week after you quit drinking, having a, a tiny little sip of your friend's beer, maybe that isn't... I would never recommend that to somebody. If someone was going to ask me, like, how'd you do it? How'd you quit drinking? Well, I recommend going out to bars immediately. And I recommend having a tiny little sip of your friend's beer, with permission. You know, I wouldn't tell somebody that, because there's a lot of people who, that's the last thing they should do. I mean, people go off to rehab facilities and can't go to parties where there's an open bottle of alcohol, because it's all relative, and we all have different approaches to recovery, and we all have different approaches to drunkenness, and we're all susceptible to different things in different ways. But I know for me, it was really important to not be afraid of alcohol when I quit drinking. And I no longer feel the need, like as, you know, two years have gone by, I no longer feel the need to go hang out in bars. I no longer want to have a sip of alcohol. There's just no reason for it. Uh, and the difference is too, it's like, I knew that if I had a drink, like if I if I ordered a beer, like a whole beer, or even had, you know, a bunch of sips, I knew that that was going to be a problem or was going to open me up to, you know, some bigger issues. But my desire was not to ease back into drinking. My desire was to quit. And I knew that I could not fear alcohol if I was going to feel successful in that endeavor because I didn't want my life to revolve around alcohol. Because if you quit drinking and you live in fear of alcohol everywhere you go and you can only associate with people who don't drink, your life still revolves around alcohol. And I did not want that. And it's the same thing for this. 
It's the same thing for quote unquote negativity. And I feel like if you only bring positive people into your life and you're scared to talk to somebody because they complain or they dwell on things that you consider unhealthy or they're self-destructive or any number of other things that you consider negative or that make you feel that pit in your stomach sometimes. If it's all the time, I totally get it. You know, if someone just makes you feel a pit in your stomach all of the time and they're not bringing anything to the table, I think that makes it pretty clear that you don't need that person around and you don't need to talk to that person. And it doesn't mean you should stop loving that person or caring about that person. But if all you ever feel is a pit in your stomach, I mean, that speaks for itself. I just, there's this pit in my stomach and it's just... Uh... I think it's speaking to me. <laughs> uh, but uh, but it's the same thing, like everything I just said about booze, it, I feel like it's very much the same thing with just negativity in general, where if you wall yourself off and if you think, I can only associate with positive people, I feel like a balance is missing for one. And I feel like you're scared of negativity, and you shouldn't be. Negativity is not that scary. You know, but you can easily become scared by it if you convince yourself that you're somehow going to fall out down into the abyss if you let any negativity into your life, if you listen to somebody complain. Uh, and you can easily get into this weird game where you're complaining about negativity, where you are repeating these positive mantras, mantras, and you're reading these self-help books, and you're talking to people in your new age, you're going to new age retreats, and you're all just scared of negativity. And you don't realize there's a lot of negativity around you, because you're just surrounded by the aesthetic of positivity, but it's a superficial aesthetic, and you can't be tricked by that. You can't be tricked by the aesthetics of things. And I think the, the big thing to take from all of this that I've learned, you know, it's not like I'm preaching to anybody here, telling anybody else what to do. I mean, if anything, I'm telling people, I, don't, I can't tell anybody what to do. I can't steal anybody's triumph or guide them on any path. You know, I've only just figured things out for myself, and I'm still in the process of figuring those things out. But one thing I've learned about negativity and positive thinking and gearing myself toward being a more appreciative person, because the word positive, too, just has, you know, it, it's become one of those words that's repeated so often and has become an industry unto itself, the positivity industry. You see it with, you know, the sorts of, you know, refrigerator magnets people have. And there's nothing wrong with those. There's nothing wrong with having some positive platitude on a refrigerator magnet and reminding yourself of those things. I think that's important. I think it's important to have these things almost as like physical symbols in your life if you need them. I'm not criticizing that at all, but I do recognize that an industry has been created around positivity, and that industry has this aesthetic, and if there's an aesthetic, it's often superficial, and aesthetics are attractive, and there's a reason why people who get into this kind of stuff often, you know, dress a certain way or have certain decorations in their home. They like beads, 
It's just a, it's a group of people that loves beads, man. Uh, that's how you recognize a positive person. If somebody doesn't have beads in their house, if they don't have beads somewhere in, in the drawer or like around their neck or, you know, hanging from something on their wall, if there's no beads in someone's house, they're not positive, man. They're just not positive. But these things become aesthetics, and aesthetics are powerful. And when I say something has become an aesthetic, I don't mean that it's meaningless. I love aesthetics. You know, I'm a creative person. I draw. I've done design. Like, I love the idea of aesthetics. They're incredibly powerful. But you can't let aesthetics trick you because aesthetics are superficial, and they might represent something deeper. There's a lot of people who are on this whole positivity kick and they surround themselves by all of the cliches of what I'm calling the positivity movement or the positivity industry. And there actually is a deep well, an infinite resource of positivity in those people's lives. So just because they have that aesthetic going, just because they're wearing yoga pants and they have beads hanging on their wall doesn't mean there isn't something deeper going on. But you also shouldn't be tricked by the aesthetic of it. You also shouldn't be tricked by the fact that it appears to be positive according to the merchandise available from the positivity industry. And anyway, just this is just what I've learned. You know, I'm just sharing what I've learned. And what I've learned is that, you know, you can't be afraid of negativity. You can't be afraid to let some negativity in. But you do have to constantly check yourself and you have to constantly listen to that feeling. Listen to that feeling and and pay close attention to the way you feel when you talk to people or what people bring to the table. Because sometimes they might be hard to listen to and maybe that's when you, you you cut the phone call short. Or you, you ask for the check at lunch. You know, there might be times where you need to do that to protect yourself, to set up a boundary and be like, okay, today's not the day where I'm going to get a whole lot out of communicating with this person. And it might not even be a person. It might be something you watch. It might be something you read. It could be anything, really. It's not just limited to people. You know, it might be a subject matter that's particularly dark, or, you know, makes your mind go to dark places. It, 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 you might have an interest in some dark reality that's out there, and it might be an intellectual interest, but if you delve into it too deeply, it can kind of take you to that dark place, too. It's not necessarily people that I'm talking about here. It really could apply to anything. And I think if you're going to be a truly constructive person, because like I said, positivity, it's become this industry unto itself. And when you hear positivity, people think they know what that is. Let's just say constructive. Let's say something that allows you to do something with what's available to you. Because to me, that's being creative. That's being constructive. It's something that allows you to do something with what's available to you. And you shouldn't look at your relationships like, is this a positive relationship? Oh, sometimes this person brings me down, so I shouldn't talk to him. Instead, say, is this 
ultimately a creative relationship? Is this a creative, constructive relationship? I think that's the way that you have to frame it. And when you frame your mind that way, you're no longer looking at it as this superficial aesthetic thing where it's like, well, this person doesn't have beads in their house, so I don't know about them. This person doesn't do yoga, so I don't know about them. This person doesn't meditate, so they must never feel any peace. They must have no idea how to follow their own bliss. And if they don't know how to follow their own bliss, they're certainly not going to help me on my path to following my bliss. Um, you know, you can't look at it that way. I think you ultimately have to see it as, is this a constructive, creative situation? And you can look at your interests that way. You can look at your friendships that way. You can look at every relationship to everything you have in the world around you that way and say, is this ultimately more constructive with what's available to me than the alternative? And it's a difficult question to answer. You know, it's a difficult because it requires you to know sort of what your goals are. But I think you can look at just that base feeling, the bigger picture feeling. You know, you might feel something in the pit of your stomach sometimes, but when you actually take a, a, a look at, at everything that comes out of that interaction you have with that thing, that person, that idea, yourself for that matter, when you look at that, I think that's when you can actually answer the question, is this constructive, is this creative? And at that point, it doesn't really matter whether you're putting things in categories like positive or negative, because you're looking at it objectively. And if something is objectively more creative than it is not, if something is objectively more constructive than it is not, that speaks for itself. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free So take 